Hey folks, attorney Andrew Branca here from American Law Courses, and I have some great content and a great opportunity that I'd like to share with all of you. The American Law Courses Spring Semester 2023 kicked off this week, and we launched our course, Evidence Law, Guardrails of Justice, just yesterday evening. Of course, our American Law Courses are law school-level courses of instruction for lay people taught at a fraction of the time and cost of law school and without the toxic politics of today's law school environments. This evidence course that launched last night is being taught by Ryan Bellinger, an attorney and a genuine expert in evidence law. Ryan has more than 200 trials under his belt, which is an unbelievably large number. And Ryan absolutely killed it. In fact, the class was so outstanding, I've decided to share with you a brief 15-minute portion of it to give you a taste of the quality of content being delivered by Ryan in this course. And after you watch these next 15 minutes, I'll also provide you with a link where you can watch the entirety of the two-hour class at absolutely no cost whatever. So hang on to your seats. Here comes Ryan Bellinger teaching evidence law, guardrails of justice, a little 15-minute taste just for you right now. A law school professor of mine used to talk about practicing law like fencing. Uh, there's a lot of uh, reacting and parrying to the moves of your opponents. Um, so, you know, back in the day, there was no need for evidence. Uh, the king just decided who he didn't like, and he would try to figure out a way to uh, bring you in and, uh, uh, you know, say you're guilty, and I'm going to use my courts to, to find you guilty. Uh, but now, as far back as the Magna Carta, uh, that was ready to change. And so you'll read here, as early as 1215 in the Western legal canon, uh, we, we, we had this language on the books, except by the law of the judgment of his peers or by the law of the land. And this cause was, was foundational uh, as far as due process goes uh, in America. And so, you know, I, I like to tell people, you know, interestingly enough for, for you federalists out there, you structuralist, uh, originalist types, you won't see the word evidence one time in the Constitution. You look it up in the body of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, you'll never see the word evidence once. But what you will see is uh, in the Bill of Rights, you know, that compendium of rights those Northerners uh, demanded be included in the Constitution, uh, what you will see here, the Fourth Amendment. And you can read it. You guys know what the Fourth Amendment says. Uh, and then as it goes into the Fifth Amendment, uh, tell me if I'm going too fast, but we're just this is going to be an overview today. And I'm very excited to teach you guys this. Um, Fifth Amendment goes through basically explaining how due process works, uh, but with never saying the word evidence. Most importantly, the Sixth Amendment gives you the right to, to good counsel. Uh, again, uh, talking about due process, uh, nothing uh, written about evidence. Now, when we talk about the Bill of Rights, I want you guys to remember something. Uh, Supreme Court Justice is either Justice Black or uh, Harlan Black or, or Justice uh, White. I can't remember which one. Um, but used to always talk about the first eight amendments. Because people, when people talk about the Bill of Rights, it's not the first 10 amendments. You know, the Ninth Amendment and the Tenth Amendment speak about rights reserved to the people and the states, respectively. But the first eight amendments make it more difficult for the government to convict a criminal defendant. We call them rights, but really what it is, is it's more making it more difficult for the government to convict you. I think we all need to, to remember this. Um, and this is what brings me into due process. This is a word uh, that you guys 
hear a lot, a phrase that you hear a lot. Well, what does it mean? It's just fair treatment. And over time, uh, part of due process was we got to have these evidence codes. We, we, evidence is the blood of the system. You know, we got to figure out a way to make due process. Uh, you know, evidence has to be the same for everybody. The rules have to be the same for everybody. So over time, they're developed evidence codes. In most of the states, 80% uh, have adopted the federal rules of evidence. So, you know, if you're taking a law school class, they're going to call these FRE and there's, there's, uh, they're codified and it, we'll show you all of these. Um, and 80% of the states have adopted uh, the model federal rules of evidence. So, excuse me here, make sure, there we go. So uh, this is a lot right here, uh, but basically you can look at this uh, on your own time. I just want it to be used as a guide. You know, I know Mr. Gosney did a really good job in his class of explaining, you know, it's not always like you see on TV, the way that the the, the process works. I just wanted you to see arrest, first appearance, arraignment, pre-trial hearings, trial. And then most of you are familiar uh, when you get to trial um, that there's opening statements for both sides. Um, I want people to notice here in most states, uh, only 12 jurors are needed only in capital cases uh, with the word capital meaning off with their head. Um, in all other cases, even if you could get life in prison, you only get six jurors. So uh, we'll keep that in mind going forward. Again, this is a lot uh, that I think just for you to kind of look at, we call it the case in chief uh, when the prosecutor or the plaintiff, if we're talking about a civil case, uh, they have to uh, bring forward a case. They have to make a thresh threshold showing. Um, and we'll get into this as the class goes along. Um, and then obviously goes into closing arguments and then the case gets to the jury. Uh, one of the main things I wanted to do, I already got emails from a couple folks and Boy, I tell you, I'm humbled um, by the type of people that that I'm teaching right now. It sounds like folks that have had great careers of their own and, and are just uh, lifetime learners that maybe wanted to go to law school, never got a chance to, um, but have decided to do this. Well, I think that's a great reason. But also, I think I want you to understand um, these types of cases and how these cases work when you see them on TV. Um, there's a new case out. Um, uh, I know Andrew and uh, Steve talked about there's a case in Texas um, at a taco place uh, involving self-defense right now. I'm sure we'll go into that. But I want you to be able to intelligently follow these cases and know things uh, that the average person doesn't know. So you can say, wait a minute, that's not right. That's not that's not how they do it. So, again, at trial, uh, you you all are probably familiar with this. But the first thing that happens is a direct examination. The attorneys. Uh, who called the witness will ask questions. Who, what, where, when, why, how, what happened? Cross-examination, the defender um, goes up there and, and on cross can ask leading questions. Isn't it true that you didn't see this very well? Isn't it true you weren't really uh, in a good position? Stuff like that. And then redirect is the third chance and recross is the fourth chance. Um, this is not the most fun part, but I want everybody to kind of get the structure. Now, this, this starts to uh, talk about adversarial process. I want you guys to think, I want you to think of in America, this is the hardest thing for lay folks and new law students to understand. The law is imagined, uh, you know, people think it's the perfect system, maybe the imperfect system, but 
The law is imagined as two bulldogs fighting over a toy. And that toy is the law. And they're each trying to win. And each dog or litigant um, is assumed to know the case, the law, uh, and the rules of evidence. Okay, so as I put in this example, there's always trial strategy um, when we determine whether we want to object. You know, if the other side does something objectionable, but it fits with my theory of the case, and therefore it could exonerate my client, I'm going to let them talk about it. I'm going to let it in. So, uh, and then as we talk about this, I want to note something. You guys can read this real quick, but I want to note uh, the hardest uh, thing for people to realize about appeals. Um, there's this belief in America uh, held by some that, that criminals are getting off on technicalities left and right, uh, and that all you have to do uh, it, uh, to win is appeal. Well, you know, this isn't true. And, and my great colleague, uh, Steve Gosney, again, I don't know if you guys can see this, but I'm holding up a law review article that he wrote. I'll give you guys access to this. But Steve did the math on this and found that you're under 0.06% likely to get a positive outcome on appeal, under 0.06%. So basically, the modern courts have decided uh, their stated interest in finality of decisions and upholding verdicts and rulings of lower courts, um, that's important to them in 99.04%. So we got to get it right the first time as defenders, and that's why I want to teach you guys Uh, the rules of evidence to get it right. So here it talks about in court, state attorney would move to introduce a piece of evidence. Say it's a gun. No objection for defense counsel. That evidence comes in. If the defense counsel wants to make an objection, they literally yell objection. You've seen it on TV and they stand up. They have to state a legal reason um, for objection. I see Glenn has raised his hand. Let me uh, see real quick if I can see what Glenn, Glenn says the audio is gone. Okay. Glenn, try to maybe uh, sign out and sign back in. Everybody else says it's good for now. Okay. I'm going to keep going. I'm sorry, Glenn. So the judge rules either the evidence comes in or doesn't come in. Okay. And these rulings can be appealed to the higher court. So uh, thank you to everybody that's letting me know that the audio is still good. This is our first time and we're going to do the best we can. So these rulings can be appealed to the higher court. But as I just said, as Mr. Gosney uh, wrote, there's a very low percentage chance of, of succeeding on appeals. Now, this we're going to do this a lot in this class, and I, and I want to throw in something here. You see bolded at the bottom where I wrote example, object anyway, podcast, Batson. So hold on. Sorry about that. Okay, so there's a case, Batson v. Kentucky is in the early 80s, and uh, there's a podcast you can look up called Object Anyway. And the reason I bring this up is it's a really good, um, um, I want to call your attention to this amazing thing. There's We literally have the audio. It's part of the historical record. Uh, you can find it easily. Batson v. Kentucky. And Batson was the name of the defendant, okay? And it ends up going to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, and it ended up setting the principle um, that when an attorney strikes a potential juror, they have to give a race-neutral reason, okay? And, and what that means is... Um, basically if a black defendant or if a black juror, potential juror gets struck, uh, the prosecutor has to give what's called a race neutral reason. We'll get into that later. Okay. Uh, But the reason I want to bring this up, that sounds like a lot of lawyer speak, but the reason I bring this up and the important part about it is what Mr. Batson, the young, um, you know, non-law school educated criminal defendant 
Um, during the jury in, uh, selection, when this thing happened that the courts were talking about, Mr. Batson turned to his experienced attorney and said, object, object. They're striking every African-American off of the jury. Well, the attorney turned to him and rightly said, that's the way it's been done here forever. So, and Mr. Batson famously said, object anyway. And that attorney objected. And seven years later, that case law developed uh, uh, to what I had just said earlier. Okay, and we'll go over that more. But the main thing I want to bring your attention to, for those of you A-plus type students, go look up Object Anyway podcast. Um, I think you'll be very interested in that. Now, okay. Now, the judge has its, you know, everybody's got their role in court. I like to think about the judge kind of as an umpire. He makes rulings. He calls balls and strikes. Um, but doesn't get involved. Uh, in Florida courts, this is a standard instruction uh, that the judge uh, um, tells to juries. Basically that I make the calls, the attorneys are expected to know the rules of evidence, and whether I rule in their favor or against them, you shouldn't speculate about it. Um, and by the time we're done with this class, you'll be uh, as knowledgeable as these judges, maybe more than uh, some we're familiar with. The jury is what's called the finder of fact. After the judge allows evidence in, this is very important. The jury then decides what weight they choose to give to, to a certain piece of evidence. We're going to talk more about this in the next class, but a credibility of a witness is something the jury is always able to consider. And, you know, some of you may have, uh, have heard of the term jury nullification. Um, and that's kind of a tough word for some folks. But in fact, because the jury can decide to disregard or give no weight to a witness's entire testimony, you could have 99 witnesses testify on one side and one on the other side, and the jury could just decide to believe the one or believe nobody. Um, and that's because the jury decides what the facts are. There are no facts until the jury decides. Now, you know, talking about the jury, what we want to do as attorneys is is – Give them a full picture. And a lot of attorneys talk about this as evidence being pieces of the puzzle uh, or bricks in the wall. And, you know, what's interesting, something that drives us older attorneys, Matt, I'm almost 40. I've been doing this for 15 years. It's the only thing I've ever done as an adult. It beats working for a living, as my dad says. But uh, something that drives us older attorneys mad is when inexperienced attorneys think they have to ask dozens and dozens of questions because they don't know when to stop. You know, if you know exactly which piece of the puzzle you want to put in and which brick you want to add, you don't have to ask 150 questions. You can ask seven. So it drives us mad because, you know, what I want to teach you guys and what, what I teach younger attorneys is, you know, you have to have a good picture of what your theory of the case is. And so, you know, for instance, if my theory of the case is, yeah, A hit B, but it was self-defense. Now, obviously, the first thing you would do is uh, pick up your copy of the Law of Self-Defense Principles. I've got Andrew's book right here handy. But after that, you would say, well, we surely don't need to ask hundreds of questions about whether or not A actually hit B. We know that. We agree A hit B. We need to focus our questions on our theory of the case, which is the legal justifications for A hitting B. So what that takes us to uh, now is the threshold question of the study of evidence, relevance. Now, 
this is a legal term of art. And there's a lot of legal terms of art like relevance and hearsay that don't mean what their uh, denotation, you know, in Merriam-Webster's dictionary. They, they have specific legal meanings. And we're going to talk about that right now. And relevance is the test for what has probative value. And this, you know, that's just a fancy way of saying evidence is stuff that can prove things and disprove things. So, for example, under the Federal Rules of Evidence 402, relevant evidence is admissible. Well, that's not very helpful. 401 describes what relevant evidence is. And again, I don't think that's very helpful. So over time, uh, what we've developed uh, is a better way to talk about this. Relevance is a creature of the pleadings. I want you guys to think of, you know, an eight and a half by 11 inch uh, sheet of paper, regular paper you get out of your copier. And uh, in most northern states, uh, you have to get indicted for serious crimes. Uh, in, in in my great state of Florida, uh, the prosecutor with the stroke of a pen can file what's called an information and charge you with, you know, a, a, a punishable by life crime. All death penalty cases, uh, even in the state of Florida, originate uh, via indictment. Uh, however, once the state decides what to charge you with, that's the document that determines what's relevant going forward uh, in that case. So relevance is a creature of the pleadings. Okay. I'm at, I have a question from Will. Relevance is what of value? So uh, that, that's a great question, Will. And, and, and I think the way I look at it uh, is sort of mechanistic, uh, but I think that's a good thing. I think we, we, we want to take the charging document literally in our hands, take the four corners of the document and read all of it. And we're going to ask, ourselves, what does the state have to prove, okay, to prove this client guilty? All right, folks, that was the 15-minute taste of Ryan Bellinger's Evidence Law, Guardrails of Justice, the first class in the semester taught last night. If you liked that small taste, you can go on to watch the entirety of last night's almost two-hour first class in this Evidence Law course for free and hopefully make the smart decision to sign up as a student for the entire course. You can access that full-length video of last night's course at AmericanLawCourses.com slash evidence video. In fact, to encourage all of you to do just that, we're extending our 50% off pre-registration for one more day. Sign up as a student of the course no later than tomorrow, Friday, January 13th, and save 50% on your tuition. I urge you to take advantage of this opportunity, and now you can do so in an informed way, having enjoyed this first taste of Evidence Law, Guardrails of Justice. All right, folks, I look forward to seeing you in that Evidence Law class real soon.